Welcome to the Holly Springs Deep Dive Podcast. It's election season, and this series of episodes is dedicated to helping you make a well-informed decision when you cast your ballot. This week, I'm releasing interviews with candidates for the Wake County Board of Education seats in Districts 5 and 8. This episode features District 8 candidate, the incumbent Lindsay Mahaffey. Ms. Mahaffey's opponent, Steve Bergstrom, did not respond to my interview request. For the record, he did not appear in an episode two years ago when he initially ran for this seat, but there was interaction. You're welcome to look back in the archives to see what happened then. Show notes for this episode include links to campaign websites and social media pages, as well as links to campaign finance reports, links to check your registration status, find out where your polling place is, and view your sample ballot are included as well. Early voting started on Thursday, October 20th, and runs through Saturday, November 5th. The Hunt Center in Holly Springs is one of those early voting locations. This episode is brought to you with the help of my Patreon supporters. Thank you. If you'd like to join the group of citizens who appreciate the type of information I provide, click the Patreon link on my website, hollyspringsdeepdive.com. This podcast is free to listen to, but it's not free to make. Ready to hear from Lindsay Mahaffey? Let's dive in. I'm here talking with our incumbent uh, Wake County Board of Education for District 8 member, Lindsay Mahaffey. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thank you, Karen. I'm excited to be back and chat with you, and I appreciate being here. Yeah, we talked um, when you were running last time, so obviously you won, hence the incumbent qualifier for for how I introduced you. we I remember last time we were talking about what a mess COVID had been to to the schools. Um, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I don't I can't envision a time when we don't have to talk about COVID when schools are in the context. Eventually, we'll get there. I really believe we'll get there, but it's you know it's impacted so many kids and. My youngest, who's now in third grade, was in kindergarten at the time. And so mm-hmm. I think it's something that we will have to consider um, for many years to come as we take care of these children and educate these children. Um, but eventually that will go away. But I think what we're learning and, and what we've known and what we're putting into practice is the need for more behavioral support systems in the school. I think it opened that lens to so many more folks um, who might have been hesitant to it beforehand because we're recognizing that you have to treat the whole child Mm -hmm. in order for them to advance academically. And if they're struggling at home or if they're struggling with themselves, um, we need those mental health, behavioral health support professionals in the schools now more than ever. Yeah. um, COVID was so much more than a virus, you know, of the respiratory system. It's, it's shown a light on a lot of things, I think. Um, But like I said, we can get more into detail about that later. You are district eight. Can you talk about what geographic area of the county that covers? Yeah, so it's different than last time. So in 2020, yeah. In 2020, we had our census and um, District 8, uh, when we had our um, demographers and and independent redistricting consultants come and kind of show the numbers of the population of the different districts, District 8 was off the charts. And so we had to lose about 30% of this district. And so 
we went from being um, the largest district to being more on average. And we actually put this district um, within the margin we were allowed to, but a little um, lower in population relative to other districts because we know the growth is still coming. Um, and anyone who drives anywhere in this district is well aware. Yep. Um, you know, anytime you drive down Avent Ferry Road and keep going, you know, it's it's very evident. Yeah. Um, so we are now two precincts in West Cary. Um, most of Apex, all but one precinct. Um, most of Holly Springs. Um, so the folks that vote at Holly Springs Ridge or sorry, Holly Springs Elementary and Holly Ridge Middle are now in District 5. And so the rest of Holly Springs um, is in um, District 8 still. So if you vote at Holly Grove, if you vote at um, the Cultural Center, at the Hunt Center on Election Day, um, it's early, an early voting site again this time around. Um, I think Precinct 1209 is still learning whether they're going to be Oakview Elementary or the Firearm Center, um, which is always an interesting place to volunteer. Yeah, um, yeah, I bet. And uh, and then we have one precinct in Fuquay, um, which is at Fuquay High School. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's interesting. It's weird to to lose those schools that you've built relationships with, but knowing that. Um, it just has to be done in, in order to normalize the populations. It's yeah. It's one of the, it's growing pain. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing. Um, I think a lot of people don't really know that they have been rezoned for different districts, redistricted, mm-hmm. I guess is the better term. Um, so I, I would encourage every listener to look at your sample ballot. You can look at it on, uh, wakegov.com. If you look at the board of elections, um, I believe you can look at it there. Um, so that's how I found out that I was in a district that I wasn't in before. Um, I was talking to a friend and she said, I can't believe we haven't seen any signs for so-and-so. And, And, um, it's because we aren't in their district anymore. So, um, it was kind of, it's, I think it's going to surprise a lot of people that I think a lot of people are going to go into the voting booth and not be able to vote for the people they think they are. So I, I would urge everybody to look now. Yes. So, um, Yeah. (laughs) It's, 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 it's hard to share that out also because I think people are used to, I mean, our, our legislative districts in North Carolina seemingly change every two to four years. Um, yep. But our school board districts have been constant for the past 10 years. So this will be a change. So, I mean, I think having folks able to listen um, and the resources that you put out um, helps them more informed. So. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. So um, how many terms have you served already? Well, I this is my fourth time running for uh, um, for this seat. Um, back in 2016, the legislature tried to change what our voting districts look like. Um, so there was a lawsuit. And because of that, we're, we had to run every two years. Before that, it was on the same um, 
schedule as municipals and was every four years and staggered. So with this redistricting, we um, stay on, we can't change the year that our school districts um, run on. So, but all nine seats are up, but we're going to be implementing a stagger. So district eight will be for a two-year term. And then in 2022, it will be a four-year term. And then other districts are starting um, with a four-year term. Because I think it's really important when you're having these boards that there's uh, institutional knowledge that gets to stay and move and having a board where you could have nine brand new people. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's always interesting and, and to think about, but that loss of institutional knowledge, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I can um, imagine to think about that really hard to hit the ground running if you had nine brand new people. And it's, you know, in 2016, I, I knew I didn't know everything. Um, and I've, I've certainly learned a lot in my six years, but there is this, I call it a learning cliff because as soon as you take that oath of office, you're the person that people come to right. for things. And so being able to lean on the board members that had been there before um, was a huge resource. And I cannot imagine coming onto a board and not having that um, and having to work with staff members and, and board members being able to point you in the right direction so that you can learn. And so the next time you're asked that question, you can just give the answer or at least point someone in the right direction without yeah. having to ask for directions yourself. So how do you feel like the job has evolved since 2016 when you first uh, were in it? Um, you know, it's always there's there the constants have been there of it is a governing board it's not a managing board so we don't um you know we don't select what teachers are in the school that is the role of the principal um we don't um make any hiring decisions except for uh the superintendent um and that is a really intensive search process and something that we had to go through um early on when I was on the board and um, setting policy is always something because you need to write policy where if someone were to read it, whether they are a parent or a staff member or a student, that it is universally understood what our intention is. Um, and so those things are, are the constants. The things that have changed um, are first and foremost supply chain issues. When we talk about a district like District 8 that's growing so fast, we have uh, new schools that are going to be coming online. We have Woods Creek Elementary um, over near the Fuji film site that will be a swing space for a couple years before opening. Um, and What does that mean? What's a swing space? A swing space is a school that will hold another school during a renovation. Okay. So yeah, we've, seen, we've seen that before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, um, so there's always the worry, like will supply chain issues impact not just one school being built? Um, and we've already seen that with Rex road elementary, um, where they were 
we were hoping they would come online in 2024. And with the supply chain issues that we're seeing, our facilities team came up and they said, hey, we need 2025 because we don't want to promise a school in 2024 and then not be able to deliver it because you have assignment, you have other things going on. And we all know that that's such a hard thing for communities and families. Um, And no one wants to be the person to be like, well, it's not ready. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They, um, they did that um, for apex, the, when they rebuilt apex, right. Uh, The apex high school. Yeah, they had to use a swing space for those mm-hmm. kids, correct? And that's and now I, Green Level High School, mm-hmm. right? And then there was Buquay Verena High School was the right, latest Fuquay. that did that, and right. Willow Spring High School was their swing space. And okay, well, I learned a yeah. new phrase today, so that's good. <laughs> it's you know, it's funny because you get in to like these these places, and I appreciate you asking because I'm so used to it. And I think we see that a lot in education where you'll do the edge of speak. You have to stop and explain and then it makes sense. But um, no, I think that's a great question because it's something that we're going to be seeing pretty, pretty soon in January when we have a swing space in Holly Springs. Yeah. So um, what, We talked a little bit about this earlier, but um, I want to talk about what you think the most important issues are coming up. Um, You said, you know, talking about the whole child and not just teaching them how to do math problems and reading comprehension and science. COVID has has drawn attention that we need to pay attention to way more than just that. Um, I think that you got that across really well earlier, but do you want to talk about, um, you know, that kind of thing and any other big issues that you see? Uh, over the next couple of years, yeah, the behavioral pe- health piece isn't a isn't a we need to do this then we can tackle the a- academics. It's a both and, and it has to go hand in hand. And we've had models in place in the school district and in the classroom so that we're able to work. Um, we call it the state program is called multi tiered systems of support of when you realize you know, an intervention that the teacher can do in the classroom and an intervention that maybe there needs to be uh, additional supports for a student. Um, And so we've been working in the behavioral health space um, prior to the pandemic, but we now have a partnership thanks to the county commissioners with Alliance Health. So kids that are in crisis with parent permission can... um, see a um, behavioral health professional that's not, um, you know, beyond the school counselor through Alliance or another community partner at school during the day um, so that they're able to get that treatment. And so that pilot started with 10 schools um, and it will be moving to 20 schools and then 40 schools and then eventually to all 198 schools or however many schools we have when we get to that um, build model. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's really important. And the other piece is looking at what we call a community resiliency model, um, not just for our students. So it's, it's shortened to CRIM, CRM, um, but for our staff. I mean, we all went through 
a lot. And we know that this rhetoric that's is that we're hearing, you know, nationally is, is impacting our teachers who are professionals. Um, it's impacting our folks that are working in the districts. And so, so making sure that we have space for our staff members to address their needs and also for our parents to address their needs. So during the pandemic, John Powell, who works with Campbell Law Center, um, started uh, through the district doing um, community circles on Zoom for parents so that they could process what they were going through because I had three kids at home. And even with a degree in teaching and having classroom experience, it's very different to have your own kids that you're, you know, putting on virtual school with so much uncertainty. So I think the focus that we're able to bring from that and the understanding and the community buy-in we have will help our classrooms more. But, um, you know, that, that rhetoric and, and, is really impacting, I think, our, our staffing. And we're seeing those staffing issues nationwide. Um, and we're fortunate in Wake County that we have a supplement that can help our staff. But we know that with um, most of our salary for our staff coming from the state, we need to do a better job there. And so we'll see. Um, we can form a legislative um committee, we, you know, always have a plan. We work with the school boards association because this is a statewide issue, but, um, the 4% raise that we saw for our teachers was great, but we know that there were some years where our teachers weren't getting a raise. So I'm hoping that we can keep moving forward and pushing forward on that, um, so that we can maintain our, our, and retain our teaching force. Yeah. Um, in the aftermath of the Uvalde shootings um, and that horrible stuff that happened down there, what role does the Board of Education have as far as safety for students and staff and teachers? What what role do you have in that? Um, I mean, it's a huge role. Um, people want guarantees that their kids are safe in the building. I want guarantees that my kids are safe in the building. Staff members, you know, it's, and I think when something like Uvalde happens or Parkland happens, we go back to um, where were you when Columbine happened? Where were you when Sandy Hook happened? And, And you mark those moments in time and, you know, with, Columbine, I was a junior in high school and, and things changed overnight. And we saw the zero tolerance policies that came out of it. And we learned that that is not how you treat children in order to make them understand um, how to make better choices. And I'm, I'm not saying, I'm saying, you know, if a child throws a pencil or right. acts up in class, you don't immediately suspend the child. You have to say, hey, what happened? What's going on? What's the real issue? Um, And you have to intervene then rather than just be punitive. Um, 
when Sandy Hook happened, I was teaching at a K-8 school, and I don't think we ever imagined something like that could happen at, at an elementary school. Um, and we've seen our schools, you know, harden more and more. And, you know, making sure as a school board member that as we're updating our facilities commitments, that our facilities have, you know, enough cameras that we're moving towards a single point of entry, that we have the camera system, all exterior doors are locked. Um, most exterior doors where you need to enter from another part of the building um, have a badge. So you're, you're needing to use your badge to get into that part of the building and the one door next to it may just not be available. You can get out, but you can't get in. Um, and in 2019, we opened our, our entire district to um, some national uh, safety experts, school safety experts, and said, okay, you take a look at this. Tell us what your observations are and what your suggestions are based on your experience. And I think that's a hard thing to do as a district because you think you want to believe you're doing a good job, but I think it's incumbent upon the people in charge to just say, we need to keep these kids safe. We need to keep our staff safe. Um, and although we can't do a hundred percent guarantee, we need to do everything that we can. And so they came out, um, and all of this, their findings end up being confidential materials. And you, as a parent, you want to know what is being done and what those plans are. But you also know you can't give someone the keys to the castle. Right. And so we you had them. Wanna, you don't want to tell, you know, would-be attackers exactly. Right. Um, you don't want to give do. somebody the floor plan um, right. or, you know, what are you going to do in case of this, that, and the other thing. Um, but we did ask them to provide an executive summary. And if you search WCPSS uh, safety assessment, um, this document comes up um, and it's 15 pages to just kind of hit the highlights of what these folks observed, where they feel like we need to invest first, you know, what are we doing good? Um, what can we do better? And so the biggest thing that they said that we need to do that we had been doing, but um, is training and making sure our staff knows what to do um, because human error is a huge piece. Um, and one of the top things that they said was you need a centralized visitor management program. So every school has the same, you know, you sign in and you get your name badge so they know that you belong in the building. Um, but what some of these are able to do is they'll scan your, ID card, they'll scan your license yeah. and check to see if you're on a database where you should not be in a school. And by centralizing that, by giving all of our schools access to that same piece, our safety off, you know, commit our safety team at central office will know who's in the building, who's not supposed to be in the building, what vendors are there. Um, and so that's, that's a huge relief. And we have a great working relationship with law enforcement agencies in Wake County. And we know that um, our folks don't want anything to happen to our kids. And so keeping those open communications with 
um, law enforcement, with our schools, with our parents. Um, after Uvalde, uh, Holly Springs PD, uh, Chief LaCorey, the SROs from um, our Holly Springs schools, and then our head of safety um, held a, a forum for parents just to listen and be able to answer as many questions as we can. And I think mm -hmm. having the ability to do that, I mean, it was incredible um, to watch and to hear just how much the community realized this isn't just the um, on the shoulders of the school district. It's on everyone's shoulders. Do you think teachers should have guns? Absolutely not. All right. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't. Absolutely not. I think there's so many things that can happen in a school um, that are unknown. And I, I just I think of the amount of training that our law enforcement officers have to go through in order to make critical decisions. Um, and I, I just, I don't, I don't okay. see that as being a part of a school. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what, what do you, like, when you look back over your time on the school board, what do you feel most proud of? I mean, our students, honestly, I love going into a school and seeing the work that's on display, seeing the engagement that happens in our classroom and, the culmination of that is, is graduation and seeing and feeling the joy, um, even when they were, you know, the individualized graduations or the at-school graduations. And this past June, being able to see everyone together as a class in the convention center as these kids walk across the stage and you hear the stories and you hear the the stories from the principal or the the staff members who are like this kid you know went above and beyond in this and did this or this kid just got here to walk across this stage and hearing the stories of our students and what they are doing is incredible and by having our students at that center it allows us to see the brilliance of our staff members mm -hmm. and the people that do work for our school system and we were able to graduate over 90%, can't say 91, but over 90% of our students this year. And that's over 11,000 graduates. Um, in spite of all that these kids faced these past few years. Right. And I think that resilience um, and seeing what they've, they've gone off to do and seeing our Students who maybe struggled to find themselves because they, who are now moving forward and, and going out into the world. Um, I think these kids are having a stronger sense of self um, than maybe I did growing, you know, coming out of high school. Oh, I definitely believe that. <laughs> um, they, they've been through so much more than, you know, we had. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember, you know, like we got excited when, the TV rolled in because we got to watch the um, ACC tournament. <laughs> that was that was the best. That TV on a cart. I mean, that is. Yeah. Oh, that takes but me they, back. They're so much more mature than I feel like I was. You know, 
uh, all of those things. My um, my youngest uh, spent his senior year in his room because of COVID, and he graduated. Um, we had to sign up for a group, and it was a you know I think they did four groups at Holly Springs High School. Yeah, they had a limit of how, how many. Holly Springs how High School kids? went above and beyond. It was incredible. It was they had like so thirty six hours of graduation ceremonies. Yes. It was so good. I mean, we had um, our oldest graduated at the convention center and our youngest graduated at the school. And I I really feel like I liked the one at the school more because every kid got clapped for, mm-hmm. you know, and at the at the convention center, they've got to roll through them so fast. There's no time for all of that. And you just got to see so, so much more of the kids' personalities. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I get the the beauty of both methods. Um, it's a, you know, it seems like a bigger deal when you're in the in the convention center and when you can see the large, huge group of, in Holly Springs' case, purple caps and gowns. You get to yes. see all of that stuff. So it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a majestic sort of thing to to witness for sure. Um as far as the things that you have done on the board, what are the things that stick out to you? I think um, we, you know, have worked hard to raise our staff pay. So um, our front office staff, our cafeteria workers, our instructional assistants, um, the state, you know, and and I always feel like I'm pointing fingers, but the reality is, sixty percent of our budget comes from the state who in the constitution says that they will provide for the operating budget of our schools. Mm -hmm. 30% comes from um, the county using local property taxes. And that's meant to supplant or supplement rather Mm -hmm. the work that we, um, that we're doing and we're finding more and more unfunded state mandates. So we're having to dip into local property taxes for that. And then 10% comes from the federal government for, um, things like IDEA, so special education funding, Title I funding, what have you. But being able to see our base pay raised for those folks and being able to use the county supplement so we could go beyond and, and um, it only, you know, the state left behind school districts and said, everyone who's a state salaried employee will make $15 an hour unless you work for a school district. And so we had to work hard and push hard statewide to get our folks up to that $15 an hour, which we finally did. And using the county supplement, instead of using all of those dollars to get to 15, um, we were able to not just get to 15, but push it to 16 um, and fill in those gaps. Because when we talk about salary schedules, it's not just the minimum, but it's what you get next year and what the differential is between year one and year two, or what the difference is in pay scale between uh, this salary schedule or you know a salary schedule of a bus driver. And we had to make sure that there was an increase each year. So each year is a 25 cent increase for someone. So if you make $16 an hour your first year, next year you will make $16.25. Um, 
And if you go up in a pay scale, say you move jobs, um, each pay scale has a 40 cent differential. So there is a difference in what you're making based on um, the skills required as determined by the state and the district. And that is where a lot of that funding went to because the state just said 15 minimum. Mm -hmm. So anyone who made from the 11, I think it was 1160 to 15, just went to 15 according to the state. So we had to address all of that Mm-hmm. as well. And it was a big lift for our staff because the budget was approved in November and the first um, checks for that came out in December, January, and then we had to make them retroactive to mm-hmm. June 1st because of the way the fiscal year for the state works. So making sure that our staff is compensated um, has been huge. And we know that that is work that will continue Um, We've already heard a commitment to go to 17 um, from our superintendent. We have expanded pre-K options. So every new school has at least two pre-K rooms. Um, And our pre-K is not tuition-based. It is for um, kids who are identified with special ed or Title I. We do have a couple tuition-based programs in Wake County, I think the closest one to Holly Springs is at Kingswood Elementary up in Cary, but it's very mm-hmm. limited. We have increased the number of school counselors, social workers, psychologists. Um, I talked before about the work that we're doing with the county to help bring community partners in to help address that. Um, we have um, been named a Green Ribbon School District by the U.S. Department of Education. So I think many of us may be familiar with what a blue ribbon school is and the focus that they have. A green ribbon school is one that focuses on sustainability and um, teaching kids about how to be better stewards of the environment and the work that we do with that. And so to be named a green ribbon district for a district this large where we go between, you know, 15th and 16th largest in the country, largest in the state is massive. And that is a kudos, not just to our, our teaching staff, but our, our staff that takes care of our buildings and builds our new buildings as we move towards things uh, like solar optimization is a word that um, I've learned over the years. And it's how you put the building on a site so that you can ensure that you're getting more daylight so you don't have to use less energy to either um, heat the building, cool the building, or um, have light in the building. And so those are all kind of things that I'm particularly proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, And and those are just kind of some of the highlights I could go on, but... um, Well, it's good to have, it's good to have a long list of things that you're proud of. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ding you for that. (laughs) All right. Okay. So I think that I already know what you're going to say based on something that you clarified earlier in the conversation about how the Board of Education is more of a governing body than a management type of board. Um, But something that's been in the news a lot lately is um, school libraries removing books. Um, because of a parent's concern. Mm -hmm. 
and banning books that a lot of us, you know, read at one point in our lives. I I assume based on what you said, and please correct me, that the board doesn't have any say over that, or do they? We do. And okay. so um so the the process and, and it's been fascinating because we did go through this in Wake County um public school system. We we have incredible um, library media coordinators who are dedicating their career to providing our students with what they call mirrors and windows. Um, mirrors are, are books where you can see yourself in that book, um, and windows are opening your eyes to different experiences and different life experiences in the world. And so our libraries need to be a collection of that. And they also have to be appropriate for the level of school that we are at. And so um, I have incredible love for our library media coordinators because the library is one of my favorite places in the school to go visit. Um, and so we have when there is a challenge to a book in the library there is a process that has been set up and has been in place for longer than i've been on the board of how it's reviewed at the school level at the district level and ultimately it comes to the board and it's looking at um you know where this fits within the legal requirements um it it is a first amendment issue and so looking at those things as the board makes their decision on it um, but you know, our librarians aren't going to put a book like Tropic of Cancer in an elementary school. I mean, mm -hmm. so it is a lot of trust and understanding of the professionals that are in the school. And, you know, there may be things that are appropriate for a public library that you, that shouldn't be in a school library. But again, we have to, to know that our librarians are going to, um, be the person to, to say, you know, this doesn't really belong here. And, I, you know, there are some books on a shelf. I had an entire study hall that I would spend in the library in high school just reading. Um, and I think we can all, many of us can, can pinpoint that book where we really felt we saw ourselves in for the first time in elementary school and middle school and high school. Mm -hmm. and, and that's so the mirror think, part of the mirror and mm -hmm. windows. And the windows right. is when you get to see um, everything from somebody else's perspective. So Right, right. Yeah. And so seeing, you know, books like I remember in sixth grade reading Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. You know, mm -hmm. I grew up outside Me of too. Buffalo, New York, and uh, the the segregated school experience of Jim Crow was something that was new to me and reading it in such um, detail as, as a, as a kid and reading it about someone who was my own age, even though we lived in different times and looked different, it, it can open up your world, you know, number the stars and, and all sorts of books that for me growing up were helping me understand the world outside of, you know, Angola, New York. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well, um, I feel like I have squeezed you dry of all of the stuff. So is there anything else that you wanted to make sure you got across in this in this interview? I really, first of all, I want to thank you for doing this. I know it's, um, I always enjoy hearing the other elected officials and, and candidates that you interview to help inform my decision. And I appreciate the fact that it's just an unedited, unscripted yep. conversation. You, you didn't get these questions beforehand. <laughs> no, I did not. I did not. And, um, but I think it's important that folks know that there is an election coming up. Um, they can go to readytovote.com, which will take them to the Wake County um, Board of Elections website where they can see their voter registration, um, make sure that they're registered, um, look at their sample ballot and and be an informed voter. And I think the incredible thing about our county is we have voters who want to be informed. Um, and in this intense polarized national debate. Um, there are, you know, two um, offices that remain nonpartisan on the back of your ballot. Please flip it over. Um, there is a back. Um, and that is Board of Education and Soil and Water um, Board of Supervisors. And what we see is there's drop off where people might vote mm -hmm. straight party. And then they get to the nonpartisan races. And it really is about picking the candidate that resonates with you, that you want to represent you. And I hope that I am that person for um, vote folks, because it has been such an, an honor and, and, and um, to serve this, this county and, and our kids. And there's also a school bond on the ballot. Um, Wake Tech also has a bond, but there's a school bond and that bond allows us, our county commissioners to borrow what are known as general obligation bonds, um, which are borrowed at a lower interest rate rather than using um, limited obligation bonds, which are at a higher interest rate for cash in order to help maintain our schools with life cycle projects. Like if a school needs a new HVAC system, and we know a few that, that do in, in our district as things get older, um, it helps with our security upgrades, technology upgrades, and our building renovations and our new buildings. And we have um, Felton Grove High School, Rex Road Elementary, Woods Creek Elementary, um, and we have some um, elementary schools and, and middle schools coming to um, Fuquay Verena and Apex as well. And so I really hope that folks are informed on the bond and will consider voting for that. Um, and again, I can't thank you enough. And to folks that are listening, I just want to say I'm Lindsay Mahaffey, and it, I've, it has been a privilege to represent you on the Wake County Board of Education, and I would be honored to do it again, and I'd appreciate your vote. Well, I know that that takes up so much time away from your, you know, your family, and you are thinking big picture, so I appreciate the sacrifices you've made to be able to serve on that board, and um, all the time that you've spent, and, you know, blood, sweat, and tears that you've um, contributed to that cause because I know it's it's not an easy job. So I appreciate all the time that you've put in already. Well, thank you. And I, I you know, I miss the classroom dearly, but I really appreciate being able to do this work to support what's going on in our classroom. 
So All right. Thank well, you. thank you so much for talking to me on a Saturday morning. Yes. Happy to do it. Yeah, you did a good job. Thanks. <laughs> I know it's nerve wracking. It's, it's, yeah, a little bit, but that's okay. I'm happy to do it. All right. Thank you. It was painless. All right. Yeah, thanks. good. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was written, recorded, and produced by me, Karen Shore, with music by Doug Maxwell and Meteorite Productions. Be well, friends. Until next time. Thank you.